0: And thank y'all for, again, for being here, especially uh, those who showed up and especially those who are online. And that covers everybody. So I'm especially thankful for all of you. Uh, appreciate you being here. And, and it is different. Uh, this year, uh, in my world, as I hear other pastors and look at uh, different things on social media and, and uh, blogs and studies and everybody discussing, uh, churches have had a real struggle in 2020 because every week is different. And uh, just when we were kind of settling into somewhat of a sort of a norm, then we had to change again, so uh that that causes a lot of stress and and the the pastors were right there's a lot of candy left over, and I'm working on my fifty fifth year as a diabetic and uh, so I don't think there's enough insulin in my supply t- to keep all that in- that sugar here, so we're going kind of get rid of it so we're going we're going to try to do that later uh, today's a, uh, today is an important day yesterday t- was indeed reformation day uh we would rather celebrate that than many other things that occur on that day. Uh, it's a day that Martin Luther uh, put 95 reasons the Roman Catholic Church were wrong, and he was, and he was not wrong in what he said, and uh, and it created a Reformation of of religion. It reformed. Uh, we couldn't reform that church, and so a lot of new types of churches sprung up. So you're watching us. You may be some other. Uh, Taste of Christianity than us. We're Baptists, and we're not ashamed of that. Uh, but you might be some other sort of denomination, but we don't care. We're an interdenominational Baptist church. We are glad for everybody that that wants to worship the Lord with us. But in the coming days, uh, in fact, just two days from today, Tuesday, our nation will be electing a new leader, and many people seem to be anxious and worried and concerned about that. And I believe, as a Christian, that I should. Be a good citizen and I should vote. And I did that. I, I voted for the one that I thought was closest to what uh, God wanted us to do. But I'm reminded of some verses in First Timothy 2 that says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, the King James says strangers and exiles to obtain from the to abstain, I'm sorry, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. But keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, this will. This does lead us into our sermon. But before I get into the sermon proper, I just want to say those verses remind us that we don't belong to this world. I, I was born in this country. I'm proud to be an American citizen. But in reality, my citizenship is somewhere else. And I'm a stranger here. I'm going to act like a good citizen But when you look at me, I am not a citizen of America. That's what I look like. But I'm really a citizen of another kingdom, another place. And he is our higher authority, and that is whom we serve. And so I pray that you vote. I pray you vote your conscience, your convictions. And I pray that uh, the vote will accomplish the will of God. But remember Granny in the rocking chair when she was rocking and said, what is this world coming to? And someone said, an end. And so it is not going to come to an end quietly, peaceably, or comfortably. So no matter what happens, that is for this world. I live in a different world. I live in a spiritual world that, is, that God's kingdom is being increased no matter what. So don't fear. Don't despair. Vote. And then pray for whoever is elected because the Bible says the heart of the king is in God's hand. He turns it whichever way he wants to. And so God is working out this world's issues to an expected end. He knows what's going to happen because the plan is already in place. So I hope you take that. in there, in those verses, it said that we ought to live as citizens of that kingdom. And so I want you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We're in the middle of a, a, a series on thankfulness for God's goodness. And uh, and leading up to thanksgiving. In 2 Corinthians 9, 15, says uh, that thanks are given to God for his inexpressible gift. Today, we're going to look at the gift of the fruit of the Spirit. That God has given us the fruit of the Spirit. My, my parents... I'm, I'm, I said I've been a diabetic for 50, I'm working on my 55th year, 54 plus years. Uh, I'm 61 and my parents were lived through the depression. And they were old enough to remember all of those days. And so as a child, every Christmas, I would be reminded that they were excited to get an orange for Christmas. And always the thing that waited the end of our Christmas stocking at home in my house growing up was an orange. And uh, just to kind of, I think my parents did that to remind us that we were grateful to get that. And you got more than that. So I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But, uh, but I'm just reminded about that fruit as I think about this. And so many times when we look at this passage, uh, there are some misunderstandings and, and some things I won't, hope to clear up. But also to show you something. And that is that what the fruit of the Spirit tells us, what, what it tells us how we should be living out our life is impossible for a human being, the way God puts it here, no human could by his own effort accomplish this. This is something that God has to do in us and through us. And so I want you to understand that the fruit of the Spirit uh, is the Holy Spirit living out Christ's nature in us, Christ's person in us. He wants us to live as he lived in this world. In fact, the Bible says that in First John. That as he was, so we are in this world. That we are to live like Christ did in this world. And so, I want you to see, first of all, there's the key to the fruit of the Spirit being produced in our life. Because the fruit of the Spirit is something God puts in us. It's not something we earn or deserve. And the first thing I want you to note is that it is fruit, not fruits. I grew up on the coast of South Carolina, and uh, so some of the early settlers to this continent came in through that way, not as early as in Virginia. The very first permanent English settlement was here, Uh, but ours came uh, uh, within that same century, just about uh, 60 years later. And, and so I grew up hearing about those dangerous voyages across the sea, and, and many people would get a disease called scurvy as they sail back and forth, especially from England, because they don't grow a lot of uh, citrus trees in England, and so there was already a lack of vitamin C, and what causes is, scurvy is a lack of vitamin C. I just dropped the C out of scurvy, saying scurvy, uh, but, but you need vitamin C, and so uh, there was a disease they didn't understand back then, coming to these shores, there was a lack of a fruit that would make them healthy and the fruit of the spirit is is not multiple things it's one thing but in that one thing there are multiple you think of it this way as vitamins in a piece of fruit there's there's more than one good thing in any one piece of fruit And so, the fruit of the Spirit, when the Spirit comes to live in us at salvation, we talked uh, uh, last week about the gift of gifts that when we become a believer in Christ, when we begin to follow Christ, He gives us a spiritual gift that we can exercise to strengthen the body of the church. So, He also gives us the vitamin necessary, uh, just using that as an illustration Uh, for us to live out in our lives. And we can't do that on our own. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And so you either have all of the Holy Spirit or you have nothing of the Holy Spirit. It's not a, a, you got this sometime and that sometime. Either God is with you or he is not. You never get more of God in your life. God can get more of you, but you can never get more of God because God never holds back. He abundantly gives. The sin in our life is what keeps God from acting in our life. So we don't even develop it. God grows it in us. I mean, I don't know if you've ever planned a garden or you're a farmer. Uh, You understand that you can do everything possible, but it takes God for that seed to germinate, grow, and produce fruit. So it is in our life. And so beginning in verse 16 of chapter 5 of Galatians, we see the key to having that fruit develop in our life. In verse 16 it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, if you are walking in communion with the Holy Spirit and he's leading you in your actions, you're not going to become selfish and do what you want to do. You're going to do what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. And so he says to walk in the Spirit. And he says, because the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now he's telling us that if we walk in the Spirit, we don't have to worry about the rules because if the Spirit's leading us, the Spirit will never lead us to disobey God's word. Now that's a that's a good spot for amens. Not a lot of people in here, so you're not going to hear any amens probably online. But I hope you're saying amen where you are. That that as we walk in the Spirit, if we are truly step in step with the Spirit, He's never going to lead us into error. He's never going to lead us into sin. God doesn't do that. And so the simple thing to walking in the fruit of the Spirit is walk with the Spirit. And you'll do what the Spirit tells us to do. But the problem is, of course, you and I still have sin dwelling in us, according to Romans 7. Uh, our sin nature has been put to death. What we were in Adam is gone. We have a brand new nature, it says 2 Corinthians 5, 17— Old things pass away; everything's become new. But we still live in a body that's been racked and just, and hurt by sin. There's still patterns in our body that that lead us into into wrong, and so. So God comes along and through Paul he writes to us in the book of Galatians which was all about that you no longer have to keep the law but you have to walk in the spirit that he's telling us walk in the holy spirit and that fruit of the spirit will be able to be produced that you will that others can see what God is doing in your life God doesn't make us better. He kills us and makes us brand new. And in that new creation that we are inside this mortal body that will be changed into an immortal body, as the Bible tells us in in the Corinthians, that this mortal flesh must like a seed be planted, but he will raise it up, an immortal body, an everlasting body, and reunite us with that spirit, that soul that has left it when we die. That God is working in us that our soul, our spirit looks more and more and more and more like Jesus himself. And so, what is the fruit? Now, I'm going to skip verses 19, 20, and 21, because that is about our failure in the flesh. And it's an interesting thing to look at. It's something that you ought to be aware of. Uh, In fact, it leads into the idea and the the explanation of what the fruit is. Because in those, but I want you to understand, in those verses, we see uh, four big types of sin. And I'm not going to... Get way into that. But as you look at that, you'll find something in there. You go, yeah, that's my problem right there. Uh, and, and you can see those things in there. And what Paul is doing is make us, uh, making us aware so that uh, the Holy Spirit is making us aware. So when we see it, we go, wow, that's the work of the flesh, not of the Spirit. I'm not walking in the Spirit in that area. So there's a problem. Either I need to repent and uh, turn away from that sin, or God may be showing that to you to show where your failure is that you need Christ period, that maybe you've never even been saved because that's the only two options when you find yourself doing the work of the law. Either you're ignoring God and walking away from Him in rebellion or you have never belonged to Him to start with. And so may the Holy Spirit explain that to you to, to where uh, you might be. But picking back up the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22 he says but and the word but is there because of the works of the law that we see manifested in our life he says here's here's the fruit of the spirit but the fruit of the spirit and notice that word fruit is in the singular the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control now again all those things are non-selfish things Every one of those causes us to have to put the flesh to death in order to live out the will of Christ in our life. Uh, so I'm just going to take them uh, kind of in order. Love, uh, is, is a, uh, love is self-denial in order that I might give myself to the one love for their sake, seeking nothing in return. And Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So when I love my wife, when I love others, it's not a, from me, that has to come from God. God puts love in us. Every You've never seen a non-selfish toddler You've got to teach kids how to share. They want everything they see. What they see is theirs. They don't understand sharing whatsoever. That is the nature of mankind. We ne- Some people never outgrow that, by the way. They want everything they see, and they don't want you to have any of it. They don't want to share those things. But God puts love in our heart, and love does not put us to shame because God put his love in us so that we can act like God toward other people. The second thing, he says joy. Now, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness depends on my circumstances. I can be happy if everything's going my way. In fact, if you're doing what I like, I'm a happy person. But joy comes as a fruit of the Spirit that no matter my circumstances, I have joy in Christ. And in fact, Jesus is praying in in Luke chapter 10, verse 21. And this is what it says. In the same hour, he rejoiced. In the Holy Spirit, and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Listen, if you want to follow Christ, you got to be a child. That's what Jesus said. That, that that he said, Let the children come to me, for everybody who enters heaven must become like one of them, like, like a little child. He Jesus never told us to grow up, he told us to become childlike, not childish childlike that we ought to be like a child that trusts and is innocent and is dependent upon God now yes we mature in the spirit and understand that but but you get the point there then so our joy is always in the Holy Spirit because if the world around us is falling apart we can still have God with us God never leaves us God is with us he never steps away from us and since God brings joy, in fact, there's another verse in the Bible that, that we misinterpret sometimes or misuse. When, when someone comes to know Christ and is a new believer, we say, man, the angels are rejoicing. That's not what the Bible said. The Bible says there's joy in the presence of the angels of God. Well, if they're the angels of God, whose presence are they in? They're in God's presence. And who it is, is it that's rejoicing? It's God that's rejoicing. And so when God is with you, he brings joy into your life because God is not a sourpuss. He's not a dour God. He's he's a God that has joy and wants to share his joy with us. And so Jesus, we see it right there in Luke 10, that he is rejoicing in the Holy Spirit for something God did. The next thing is peace. Again, peace is not external cessation of war. You know... If, the, if there's only been a short periods of time in world history when there wasn't two nations fighting each other, and so in the world idea, there's never peace. It's just everybody's reloading. I mean, that's that's what we call peace is when everybody's regearing up for the next battle. But peace means that I have settled accounts with God peace means that I don't have to worry about where I'm going when I die listen I used to be the scaredy-catest little kid ever I don't know if scaredy-cat is a, is a word but I was a scaredy cat when I was a kid I was afraid of everything afraid of my shadow and I, I'm only afraid now of God and my wife and 18 wheelers but I'm not even afraid of 18 wheelers anymore because I've been hit by one and here I am so those don't scare me like they used to I, I tell you I, I, I used to be a scared of scared of everything But now I have peace. One day I realized that God was with me. And and listen, I believe I could roll around in in the worst disease ever. I could be in the worst situation ever. If God didn't want me to die or get sick, I wouldn't. And if God did want me to die or get sick, you could put me in a bubble and I'm going to die. There's no way we can avoid that. That's just part of what it is. But look in John 14, 27, or listen to it at least. Jesus said, that's peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And then check this out. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. We can just calmly go through this battlefield that we call the world. Because God puts his peace in us. Because we have the peace with God. Because at one time we were his enemy, the Bible tells us in Romans 8. When we were enemies of God, God himself paid the price for us to become the friends of God and to have salvation. And being having peace with God, now we have the peace of God as we go out through life. The next thing he says is patience. Romans 2, 4 says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God gives you kindness so you can look at your life and come to him and say, Hey, God, I'm messing up in this place. And God is patient with us. He doesn't doesn't come with us with harshest uh, uh, discipline at the very beginning. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But God is patient with us. And he says... Here he's really talking to the lost people. Are you are you dependent on God always to be merciful? In the Psalms, God says, you make a mistake when you re- think that God reasons as a man. God will have his will before it's all said and done. And none of us get out of it alive. But currently God is showing patience to us. He's not destroyed the world again because of our sin because he is a patient God. He's willing to wait on us. And so God gives us his patience for others because he has forgiven us already. I can forgive others because God has forgiven me. And there's nothing anybody's going to do to me that's worse than what we have done toward God. And so he expects me to have patience and forgiveness for others. And then we have kindness. Titus 3, 4 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. God shows us kindness. He is not harsh with us. He is gentle with us. He leads us in a gentle way. When you read the Old Testament, uh, in fact, my wife and I were talking about this this morning. We're reading the, you read the Old Testament, God seems so harsh. But we think he's harsh because we don't see our own sin. I mean, we are spitting, kicking, fighting, gouging. If we could have killed God, we would have as sinners. But in the midst of us scratching and fighting against God, God loved us and gave Himself for us. That is out of kindness. And again, Titus three four says, "When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He came in the person of Jesus Christ that God put on flesh and dwelt among us, so that we could behold." The glory of God that we couldn't see any other way. He came in kindness. And then we see goodness in 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. God has given us everything we need. The goodness of God has been poured out on us so that we have get, get, gained from him everything that pertains to life and to godliness and that all comes through the knowledge of God and knowing God and then faithfulness lamentations 322 the steadfast love of the lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness that's actually i added on verse 23 there because god gives us mercy every morning Every day that comes, God is faithful to us that he pours out his mercy and his kindness. We already talked about uh, some of those things, but he says he renews them every day. It's like he re-ups it. He gives us a new supply daily of what God uh, has for us. And then we see gentleness. Now, gentleness is not weakness. Let me just say that from the outset. If you do not have the capacity for anger and violence, uh, gentleness is not gentleness. It's weakness. You have to have the strength and the capacity to act violently and harshly and then bring that under control. Gentleness, really, the, the, the definition of gentleness is power under control. You have power to do more. It's, it's sort of like we all, listen, we got some motorheads in our church. And, and I would be one if I, my hands weren't put on backwards. I knew how to work on a car. I got that need for speed. I love it. So I just, but here's something that amazes me. People go and buy these $100,000 cars. that will go, you know, 200 miles an hour. And you can only drive it 70 on the fastest highway in America. (laughs) That's power under control right there. Oh, it'll go 200, but you better not go 200, right? You're going to hurt yourself or somebody else. Gentleness, God brings all his power under control and he gives us mercy and grace. And he could have just destroyed. If he was a capricious God, as as the Muslims teach, that God, you, you can be the best Muslim in the world and get to heaven. And, and their God will go, eh, I don't think so. I don't want to and send you to hell. Our God's not like that. Our God brought that power under control. And he gave to us a Savior, which was himself. And so, Matthew, that Savior, Jesus, says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. He says in that same passage. My yoke is easy. Which means gentle. It means well fitted. He, he gently leads us and takes us. And he's a companion with us. He takes his power. And when he uses it. He uses it to bless us. Not hurt us. And so we have gentleness. We have the power to hurt others. The power of even just our words can hurt someone. We have uh, physical power. But as Christians we exercise self control control there are riots happening in the streets in our country today because they lack the holy spirit they lack gentleness they lack the control people are upset and 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 they're angry and they're and and really when you look at it what they're doing is way overreaction to, to the need, and there are other ways to handle it. But men of a, that understand God and His Holy Spirit come in a gentle way and produce change where it's needed in gentleness. And then in 2 Timothy one seven, we see self-control, which is the last one listed here. It says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power that we control, and of self-control. In other words... I like to joke around because it's, it is uh, 99.9% true. If you put a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts there and leave me alone with them very long, I can't resist eating one. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you can. You, I, you can stay away from sin if you walk in the Spirit You can have that self-control. Because look as he picks it up after listing the elements of the fruit. Look in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Just before that he says if we walk in those ways against these things. There's no law written against these things. God did not make a law against the fruit of the spirit at all. This is how we are supposed to live. And you can do that to the 10th Degree without fear of sinning against God. And he follows that by saying, because if we belong to Christ, we crucify the flesh with its passions and its desires. In Colossians 3 3, the Bible says, You have died. And your life is hidden with God. And two verses later, in verse 5, he says, So put to death, therefore, the members that remain. You go, Wait a minute. Hold on. Time out. God, were you confused there? Because in, in in almost the same paragraph, in almost the same sentence, he says, you're dead. And then he says, there's stuff you still got to put to death. What does he mean? Well, our old nature was put to death. What we were in Adam, I am no longer a condemned sinner. I am now a redeemed saint before God. But in my body... And, Paul talks about us in Romans seven. Sin still dwells in me. There's sin, still a sin that sin that is that is attached to me that leads me into fulfilling the passions and desires of my flesh. And so, if I walk in the Spirit, I will put that to death. According to Galatians, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And notice this, we are dead to self, we crucify the flesh, and then we walk in the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, we will keep in step with the Spirit, verse 25. And then 26, so let us not become conceited, but provoking one another or envying one another. We are to live a humble life. You know, I mean, people today, if you're wearing a mask, somebody will say, what are you, scared? And if you're not wearing a mask, they say, what are you, crazy? I mean, people are just, <laughs> there's plenty of people condemn you out there. I mean, everybody has an opinion about what you ought to be doing. If you don't believe me, read Facebook. I don't really recommend you doing that. But but listen, everybody's got an opinion and they don't mind sharing it. But the Bible says that when we walk in the Spirit with our brothers and sisters, we keep in step with the Spirit. And if God's blessed us, we don't become conceited. If 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 God has given us insight, we don't provoke someone. The Bible says in Hebrews we ought to provoke each other to love and good works. That's the only provoking we're allowed to do. But I don't start needling you and poking you and saying, hey, you're not as good as me. You're not, you're not walking with God like me. We don't envy one another. We see somebody further down the trail, somebody that's more mature in Christ. We don't go, oh, man, I can't believe he's there and I'm down here. No, we catch up with him and go, hey man, how'd you get here? Would you share with me? And because they are gentle and not provoking, they're going to turn around and say, sure, let me help you. Let me pray with you. Let me help you find what I have found in the Lord. And so the way we walk in the spirit is we have to be dead to ourselves. We have to crucify our flesh. And then we walk in the spirit. We listen to what he has to tell us and we do what he leads us, in fact, in the spirit to do. And so, we come to fruit inspection time. We come to a time where we have to know what is the fruit that is being produced in your life. That's the first thing you ought to do this week. What fruit? We mentioned fruit last week out of, out of uh, uh, the gifts of the Spirit that God gives us to, to strengthen the church. And where are you exercising your gift? Where do you see that fruit? Well, this fruit of the Spirit is to be Christ-like. And you can't be Christ-like without Christ in your life. So what is the fruit that is being produced in your life? What do you see God doing in your life? I, I'll tell you, I, I said this last week, that you, if you walk in the Spirit, exercising the fruit of the Spirit, you'll automatically exercise your gift because the Spirit will lead you to exercise your gift. That, that's just a, a given. And, uh, and so if you walk in the Spirit, you produce that fruit in your life. So where are you producing fruit? Then secondly... Are you living out the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? Who around you needs to receive the grace God's given you? You will begin to notice because it is in the power of the fruit of the Spirit that we become a better witness. Because we're walking with the Spirit and the Spirit will lead us to the person He's prepared to hear. He will give us the words to say as we speak to them. He'll give us compassion for them. He will help us to pray for them and show true Christian love and help to that person. And so... As you look around and ask God to show you who needs God's grace and that I can give it. And then thirdly, you ought to use what God said in his word as a guide to your life. And look at that and say, where am I failing God? In fact, the verses I skipped over, 19 through 21, you can look at that and say, am I failing in these areas? Is there a place here that I'm, I'm living without repentance that I need to repent and put aside uh, and crucify that part of the flesh? That's why he says crucify the flesh. It's listed in 19 through 21. And so what thoughts or actions do I need to eliminate that might hinder the Holy Spirit working in my life? It is only Christ in us that these things can be fulfilled. And so I pray that this week as you go forward, uh, that you will take this list. A lot of people have these in their home, and that's a good thing because we ought to be reminded that this is the life, this is the the, uh, description of the life that God wants us, you and I, to live. And we can only do it by God's grace. Would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord Jesus, not only that you came to us in love and in the flesh so that we could, could see God for who, the one who's seen you has seen the Father.